one quote by George Bernard Shaw, the ones who get on in this world are the ones who go out there and look for the circumstances they want. And if they cannot find them, make them. What is going on, futurists? Michael Zakond here, your host, founder and creator of Our Future, the business podcast for young people where you will hear from the brightest minds in business in short, high-energy episodes to get career advice and exclusive industry insights multiple times a week. Congrats to President-elect Joe Biden and VP-elect Kamala Harris, who is the first woman, black person, and person of South Asian descent to be elected to the second highest post in the land. Super excited to say this podcast grew by over 40% in the month of October. Our website has had over 4,000 page views, and this weekend alone, our newsletter was opened over 1.5 thousand times. One growth factor has certainly been a doubling in reviews of our future on Apple Podcasts. We're up to 47, would love to hit 50 and beyond, so it would mean the world to me if you could tap us out a quick rating, even if it's not your main app. If you have an iPhone, go to Apple Podcasts, drop me a review, means so much. Anyways, this intro is over. It's time to hop into today's interview. My next guest is Nadia Masri, founder and CEO of Perksy. It's a next-generation, mobile-first consumer insights platform that earned Nadia a spot in the Forbes 30 Under 30 for marketing and advertising. Nadia has always been an entrepreneur. She founded her first company at age 17, and in 2015, while she was studying psych at Harvard, she realized there was no effective tool to source market research from young people. Nadia and I had an awesome conversation about entrepreneurship. And hope you guys enjoy. Nadia, the, the question I ask all the founders and execs I bring on this podcast is, when you were my age, when you were 20 years old, uh, what did you envision yourself doing? What did you see for the world? So funny story, when I was 20, I was actually on my second company. Um, so I, I think that, you know, if we wanted to get an idea of like where I wanted to be, we might need to start earlier on. But I did start my first company at 17 and then my second at 19. So I thought at the time that I was going to be like a, you know, this like fashion media mogul, like this, like I, the second company was in the, in the, um, in the fashion space. So I had started a company called Birdcage Media Group and, um, there was a magazine associated with it. That was like the, my true baby. That's what I was trying to bring to the world. Um, and, I, I thought that was the path I was going to take. What's funny is that I hadn't actually yet gone into the tech space. So I didn't envision myself becoming a tech entrepreneur specifically. So you, you'd started a few companies before, uh, and then kind of, you put education on the, on the forefront, uh, psych, you chose to, to, you kind of, you know, take a break on the, the entrepreneurial uh, endeavors. How, how did you arrive at market research as an industry to disrupt? So I was taking, um, an HBS course for undergraduate credit called marketing management, the market research component of the class. Um, I remember, I remember like thinking to myself, there aren't really relevant tools for me to actually ask the students here, what they would want to see, like what business they would want to see brought to this, the, like the city. Like it doesn't like, I'm like, there's, there's nothing like I stumbled upon survey monkey. And then we were given thing like tools um, like Nielsen data to to be able to look into these things. And I'm like, you know, this is aggregated data. Like it's not, it's not contextual. It's not in the moment. So what I ended up doing is actually for that project, um, coming up with the idea to bring a consumer insights app to to the, the the Cambridge area. So that became the business. I decided to, instead of picking existing ones, start my own. You know, the guys football team, they were participating in like 
these, these clinical trials on weekends for what they called quote unquote beer money. And, um, you know, there were like, I, I think it's like pizza money too. Like people were like, I, I want to participate in these studies for, for, you know, some spare cash. And so the concept of ULAB was, was sort of born from, from that, but it's interesting because like it really stemmed from a half consumer, half brand perspective where as a person trying to conduct research, I'm like, I don't think I have the tools to reach these students. But as a consumer, I was also like, I wouldn't answer any of these surveys either. Why is there no solution? And so that's kind of what led me to it. Yeah. You know, one kind of common thread between the entrepreneurs I've interviewed is they brought a fresh set of eyes to an industry which had not had a fresh set of yep, eyes in a long totally. time. You identified the the opportunity and it was probably just going through your head. Like when you're, when an entrepreneur is starting off, they can't stop thinking about it. You didn't have a, a coding background. What was the first thing you did to like create momentum towards building a, you know, this, this consumer product, this, this app called Persky? What I did was I framed out the idea A to Z. I like straight up wrote a business plan, which we still have. It's like 58 pages. Like I was just like, I framed out all my thinking because I knew that if I had to get other people involved, I would need to really help them understand what my vision was and what I was trying to achieve. And so I kind of, I kind of listed everything out and, you know, I'd like to say that I just like dove in and I guess in a way I did, if you look back, I I guess I kind of did, but it was, it was very calculated. Like it was very like, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do. This is what the product's going to look like. And then I actually designed the product myself. So to this day, you know, we still use the platform designs that like I created, um, but I taught myself how to design. I bought all the textbooks, you know, dropped out of school, but still bought the textbooks for the course. <laughs> My first full-time hire was actually a product person, which I've learned now is extremely rare. Like I didn't know that at the time, but I, I heard that's that's kind of atypical, um, but I hired a head of product as as my very first employee, Andrew Lin. He's phenomenal, and he's like you know my my partner in crime. But he really understood what I was trying to bring to life, and he came from the gaming space and had also he actually had sort of like had a bunch of survey apps on his phone and was like I actually use these and they're all like kind of crap and like this is a way better solution. Bike ball is this is a a sport and it was a. Uh brought back to life by this awesome entrepreneur, Chris Reeder. It's now a huge global movement. And what he told me was that he, everyone thinks entrepreneurs are these crazy risk takers, but really they look at their problem they want to solve. And they just, they just think about the risk every day till they're blue in the face. And totally. they, find, they finally decide that they want to do it. So it's actually not like they're, it's not like in your case, it's not like you were just putting everything on the line. I mean, you were, but you had done so much research. It was so calculated. How long did it take from bringing on your first hire or for, or maybe just from thinking of the idea to getting it in the hands of consumers to begin yep. this amazing experiment in consumer insights? So it just goes to show you the time frame. So it was about a year before I hired, a little over a year before I hired my first full-time employee. And that first year was really like I said, the first six months was research, building relationships, you know, designing the, 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 the platform and, um, designing the app and then, you know, hiring my first product person, then leading to getting the engineering built after that, which was mostly the focus of 2017. And then we went live in January of 2018. So it, it's really interesting. There was a lot of planning involved, like a lot and wow. a, a lot of planning. For, for your product, right? Like it had to be perfect when it hit the market. Like a lot yes. of entrepreneurs I've interviewed, 
they got their MVP off in the most crude, like basic way. Like one entrepreneur I interviewed started the world's premier supercar driving experience. And he started off by convincing the guys at the Ferrari dealer to let him invite some people to a track. And he had a little dinky toolbox and no water and no and turkey sandwiches, right? And now it's this huge, massive company with a fleet and a HQ and everything. But in your case, you couldn't do a, a basic crude thing, right? It had to be perfect uh, upon upon delivery. So so what, what was the feeling there when you launched it out into, into the world? And what were some initial challenges? You have to market this product to consumers and companies. It's a B2C. It's a B, uh, B2B, B2B to B2C. So yeah, what yeah. was like, which side of that, that, that equation was more difficult um, to, to build like a critical mass and what I'd call kind of a social network type app even? You're, you're right in saying that we are B2B2C. They're both sides of it. The way that we approached launching this was we had to grow the consumer side and we had to grow the brand side. I think in general, across the board, it's typically harder to drive the consumer side, but that's also what makes Perksy so unique. And you also asked me if there were any competitors that were spawning up at the time. I would say that, yes, there were, but do we feel that there were any competitors doing exactly what we were doing? No. The reason being because we felt we feel that we're the first consumer-focused company. We built this, this app from the perspective of consumers. As young people, we were like, what do we want to do to communicate with brands? What do we want this to look like? How do we want to get rewarded? How do we want our data treated? Like we never reveal any consumers personally identifying information because we just don't think it's necessary for brands to know. Like for you to know whether or not to build a product, you don't need to know, you know, my email, phone number, name, home address. Like you just don't need all that data. And so I think as young people, we understood that and we really took that into consideration and just felt that the way data was being treated at the time, especially with everything that was going on with Facebook, we just felt like companies were not treating consumer data well. I think that consumer first focus, like we, the fact that we built a company for the the individual, like the everyday person first and for the brand second um, made all the difference in the world and really has continued to differentiate us in the marketplace because our belief is that when you serve people first, the brands will come. And that is what ended up happening. And so I wouldn't say that it was necessarily as hard for us to drive the consumer side. I would say the biggest challenge that we have is the fact that our audience has actually grown really significantly and we don't always have content for all of them because we're not that big yet. I think people assume we're a lot bigger than we are. And so, you know, those kinds of things will happen at scale. So like we have some growing pains, I would say. So you have this, you have this, this teeming marketplace of uh, young people who are answering questions and surveys for brands in a really engaging app and on the, the same end, you're enabling brands to reach a younger audience and get insights. So could you walk us through the consumer journey and the journey on the end of your business clients? Yeah, absolutely. So how it works is users download the Perksy app um, and answer these immersive interactive questions from brands in a format called Stacks. So we never use the word survey. For every stack that they answer, they can collect points, which they can then redeem at over 100 participating retailers like Amazon, uh, Nordstrom, Uber, uh, Delta Airlines, AMC, PlayStation, like a, a variety of, uh, of different reward providers. We're also growing those rewards. So like next year, we're going to launch a handful of super, super cool rewards and experiences for consumers. Um, and we actually, so we started off as being millennial and Gen Z, but we've organically grown to older audiences. We now actually cover 13 to 75. Um, 
And there are different types of questions that come in. So like sometimes consumers are asked to evaluate uh, commercials. Um, so like different advertisements, um, sometimes it's like marketing copy and the best ones. So like these are like the golden nuggets because these also get rewarded the most. There's the highest payouts for these. Um, so when people get them, they're, they're, they're the luckiest. Um, but the qualitative questions. So, um, you know, sometimes a brand will ask you to record a video just like talking about your experience with something or like saying how you feel about something. And what I find so compelling is like, these things actually move the needle. Like whether you are a like 14 year old in Nashville, Tennessee, or a, you know, of a 46 year old in, you know, New York city, you can really actually influence the decisions that these brands make. And I get to see that on the back end. And I find that fascinating. Like, I'm just like, I wonder if people realize how much their opinion gets taken into consideration. Um, it's, it's very, very cool to watch. Um, so that's the experience on the consumer side. Um, in terms of the, uh, the brand side, um, we have a platform where they can create and design custom research campaigns. They can reach targeted audiences. So like, you know, if we know that someone likes sports, um, you know, they might uh, reach out, they might try to reach people who are really into sports and ask them questions about that. Um, and then they can analyze and visualize all this data in real time. So like I said, it's all aggregated. So no PII, personally identifying information is ever displayed, but they'll just be like, okay, like, you know, 64% of consumers say that they want to see this or this type of product, or they prefer this ad over that ad. Um, and then brands take that information and they, they use it to inform their strategy and direction for their different, you know, products or marketing or services and things like that. I feel like you're not even competing with other market research firms. You're competing with like social media apps, like are students using this while they're waiting in line or at the, you know, waiting for the doctor's office or like on the subway or just hanging out, right? Like this is a activity you bring up your phone. It's almost like a social media platform, right? You're not, yeah. you're not in competition. It's kind of reminds me of what Quibi said when they were like, yeah, we're like, you know, they're failed, but you know, we, uh, we were starting a streaming service, but we're not competing with, uh, with Netflix and, and Amazon prime. So I think that's very interesting. Nadia, the way, the way I round things out is I ask all my guests, what is your piece of career advice to the leaders of tomorrow? So it's really interesting because I'm going to give mixed advice, which is that um, I don't recommend entrepreneurship for everyone. You have to do things that you have to make sure that you can get behind. And the day you have to, like people think about entrepreneurship. And I know this is kind of like a contrarian thing to say, like, which is like, I, I don't recommend entrepreneurship for everyone. It's because like the day you have to fire your first employee, like you have to fire an employee for the first time that's really hard. It's really hard because when you're, when you like inevitably that time comes and sometimes the reason isn't always like, it's not always a great reason. It's, it's, it's not always clear cut. Um, and sometimes you, you know, you have to let go of people that you really like. And there are aspects of business that don't get talked about when it comes to entrepreneurship. It's so focused, like the content that's out there is so focused on the positive that we don't always talk, talk about the things that are really difficult. It can be really isolating. Um, you know, they say it's lonely at the top for a reason. Um, and those are things that like, you really have to decide if you want to sign up for that. And that's like, a, that's a tough thing to do. And I, and I, I recommend that people evaluate both sides of the equation. Think about the, the influence that you want to have in the world. Think about the mark that you want to make and whether you decide to start a business yourself or join another business, that should just be a reflection of whether or not you think you can have the deepest impact 
going through going on one avenue or the other but ultimately there are so many opportunities out there to do really meaningful work that you can get behind and be really passionate about that's where the focus should be and ultimately this all can be summarized in this one quote that i really like by george bernard shaw he says um you know, people are always blaming their circumstances for what they are. You know, I don't believe in circumstances. The ones who get on in this world are the ones who go out there and look for the circumstances they want. And if they cannot find them, make them. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Nadia Masri, founder and CEO of Perksy. Thanks for partnering with me today. I do have one final request. It is to drop me a review on Apple Podcasts. Said it once, I'll say it again. Have an awesome start to your week and as always, stay frosty.